This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Widmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And we are back for another edition of the Primetime Podcast right here on Most Available Podcasts. This is your one-stop shop for college football, college basketball. We give you the best talk. We give you the best analysis. And it's kind of a it's a bittersweet day, I'm going to say that, because today is the official day where both you and I love college basketball. But both you and I love college football at the same time. It's kind of like having two kids and we're trying to spread the love equally. But let's be honest, there's nothing greater than a college football season. And today is the official day on the podcast where we say goodbye to one child, send them off to school for a couple for a couple months or so. And we welcome in a new child coming back from school where the school years are off in this little reality. And we end college football today. We transfer into college basketball slash draft topics for the rest of the time. And we got a dandy for you guys. We're going to be talking national championship. We're going to be looking at Michael Porter Jr. Could he be making a return for the Missouri Tigers? And then we're going to look at the NFL draft, kind of taking a look at Mason Rudolph and Lamar Action Jackson to see which one we would take if we were in an NFL draft room. But before we get started, got some housekeeping. Number one, if you want to support us, make sure we can keep the lights on. Don't need the heat on today. It's a little bit warmer here in Chicago than it was last week. But go to patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast for $10 a month. You can be on the podcast with us talking about whatever topic you would like to talk about. Then we're also selling MVP t-shirts. All that information is down below in the description. You can go ahead, get yourself some MVP gear, the first of its kind here at Most Valuable Podcast. And then last but not least, the two last but not least, number one, if you're on iTunes, you have an iTunes, please give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And then if you could do the same thing for the Onside Kick, the Fast Break, and the Rick and Johnny Podcast. And if you haven't seen it already, go over to mostvaluablepodcast.com. Because of our wonderful patrons, we were able to get a new website, and it looks absolutely Fantastic. And Brandon, I got one more thing. Because Bowl Mania is over, we have a winner to announce. Am I correct? We have a winner to announce. It is not you. You did not win. You finished with 21 points. However, I'm putting an asterisk next to your entry because we didn't enter it until after that week one of games. So that 0-5, you could have technically had three more points and finished in either second or third place. So I'm putting an asterisk next to yours. I think I'm still going to claim a a national championship. You're going to claim a national championship? Well, I finished third. You had 21, could have been a 24. I had 23, could have been a 24 if Georgia would have won last night. But the winner of our bowl mania pool is character one, two, three, four, five. So here it is. I've got the the prize right here. It's what I brought in today. And I'm going to reveal it. For everyone, it is a classic Golden Girls t-shirt, and it says Stay Golden on it. Stay Golden, because you won the gold medal here for the Bowl Mania. I'm going to throw that over to Brandon so that he can see for himself. Sorry for hitting the microphone there, B. Is this one of your old shirts? No, that's an actual, that's a brand new shirt. It's a Golden Girls shirt, has all the Golden Girls on it, and it says Stay Golden on the front, because you won the gold medal Character. So here's what you got to do, character. You got to email us at mostvaluablepodcast at gmail.com and just send us a screenshot or a picture of the little ESPN drop down just proving that you're logged in and that's you. 
and then we'll set everything up to send you your Golden Girls t-shirt for winning our bowl mania pool. But Brandon, let's get into it. We had one dandy of a game last night, and I'm going to ask you this question to start off everything. This is, to me, the question I was wondering today as I was at my cubicle at work. The game we saw last night, not just college football playoff, but all time, was this the best national championship that we've ever seen in college football? I don't know that we're able to say that. Well, because okay, what in are we, our lifetime. Because I was going to say, what are we? What are we comparing it to? Are we comparing it to the the best ever? Ever? I, I would probably have to say it. You know, it 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 wasn't. But I I would say in in our in our lifetime since we've been watching, I think it's been. Uh, def- it's it's definitely been one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. I, I would say last year's was a was a great one as well. Um, I would say that uh, you know the the game. What was it? Just uh, the first the first the one. Um, no. Are oh, you saying no? The, the, first... the first one within the college this this new playoff. The format. one with OJ Howard, where he had that big play running down the sideline. You're talking about that one. The first meeting between Alabama and no, Clemson? No, it has nothing to do with, with Alabama. It's the game. It was Oregon and Ohio State. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, that, that that was a great one, too. So I, 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 can't, I can't say that this was the best one, and I don't want to because then my <laughs> – my people who already hate me because I'm an Alabama fan will say, "Hey, only because he's an Alabama fan and they won." And you talk just like that. I know you do. Um, but uh, I, I would say that this was uh, one of one of my favorites, only because we really did see uh, a, a good game. Mm-hmm. It was a, certainly a tale of two halves. Um, you, you know, it, it it really it really showed. And what I liked about it is that it really showed a, a game. It was another game of adjustments. Could you make that adjustment at halftime to come out and do something different? And I think that the reason why it was one of the most exciting ones is because you bench a twenty-five and two starter in Jalen Hurts in favor of Tua Tagovailoa, and he comes out. And plays phenomenally in the second half and ultimately leads to Alabama getting a win. So it was one of the best I've seen, but I, I, I can never say a hands down that one's the best. I can't say that. Well, I, I want to know your thoughts because you, you asked you know me a me. shit question like you, that you know because me. I cannot come out and say that, that something is the best in terms of a game like that. But Well, I can't. No, I well, can. you, you can. I, and I, I, the but reason I can't. why... I can is in my mind going back to so I'm going to use the reference point for me of like national championships that I started following. I'll say around I guess I'll do the 2003 season because that was when I was 13 years old. It was 2013. It was BCS at the time national championships. That's LSU Oklahoma one two. From then on, that was like my kind of first of. I'm watching this game religiously each and every year. Before that, it's like, I like sports, but I'm not, like, watching every game. I'm watching a few games. I'm really playing the games on my PlayStation or my video games. It's really what I'm doing instead of watching them. And since 2003, my reference point, this is one of the three best national championships that I've seen. There are two others that I'm putting into this category, and neither of them are from the college football playoff. 
The first one, this is in no particular order. The first one was the last BCS championship that we ever saw. Jameis Winston going up against the Auburn Tigers. That was the year where Auburn got into the BCS with the kick six that beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl. The other one is the 2005 season, the 2006 Rose Bowl with Vince Young, USC, walking it off win. And even though I believe I wanted USC to win at that time, I don't remember. I just remember it was a great game. Those are the three. The 2000, what would that be? 14 BCS championship, the 2006 Rose Bowl, and the game we saw last night. The top three national championships that I've seen. Now, is it the best? No, I would say the Texas one is the best. However, that's nostalgia kind of kicking in. That one's kind of, it's like a fine wine. It's been sitting there. It's been fermenting. It's been aging over time. And whenever you have something great, the more time you get, you think better and better and better of it, even if it wasn't that great at the time. And I'm not saying that championship wasn't great. It's just probably gotten better. We've hyped it up over the years because of how great it was at the moment. The thing I loved most about last night, and this is me sitting on it, sleeping on it, because last night, you know, because you were there, I was an emotional fan. That's what I was. I was all in on Georgia. I was kind of watching as a Georgia fan, even though I'm not a Georgia fan. I just wanted Georgia to win so badly because, A, I picked them to win. B, I wanted someone other than Alabama to win again. However, after sleeping on it and after letting all those kind of fandom feelings go away, the best thing about this game was exactly what you said, was the who could make the adjustment. But the way I would say it is the thing that made this the best game like of the season is it was the most non-Nick Saban game I think we've ever seen. Like Nick Saban to me is a guy where it's like, he might sit there and think, you know what, I, I should pull Jalen Hurts. I should bring in Taga Viola. However, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep Tua on the sideline, and I'm going to keep Jalen Hurts in there. But Nick Saban pulling the trigger, putting in Tua, having him play that second half, and that basically turned the table because from there on out, I heard it today, I think it was Joel Klett said it, and he hit it right on the head. Early in the game... Georgia was ruling the game because they came out, they let Jake Fromm throw the ball. Like, you know what, Jake, we're putting it in your hands. We're going to have him throw the ball early. Then after we get up, we're going to change the game plan and go to our run. Hit him with a surprise with the pass, then go to what our strength is in the run. And with Jalen Hurts in that offense, it was a lot of three and outs. Like I said at halftime, I sent a tweet out. The two big stats that I thought of from the first half for Alabama – Third down conversion, time of possession. They weren't get, They were not staying on the field long enough on offense. That defense was coming out, coming out, coming out, and they didn't have much time. You put Tua in, oh, we're getting some offensive consistency going. That defense is staying on the sideline for about five, six minutes. It's catching its breath a little bit. Then at that time, Alabama could say, you know what? We're going to unleash the dogs on Jake Fromm because now we have a fresh unit coming out there over and over, and that's what changed the game. The We're going to convert a little bit on third down. We're going to keep the ball for more time of possession. The Alabama defense got less tired, I would say more rested, I should say, in between drives, and then they were able to be more effective against Fromm and the Bulldogs. 
Well, you look at what worked so well in the Rose Bowl this this past year mm-hmm. for for Georgia. It was the fact that they they leaned heavily on their running game mm-hmm. and they they ran the ball very very effectively. Uh, both Nick Chubb and both Sony Michelle ran the ball very well. So if you look to last night, that didn't happen. Uh, Sony Michelle, I think, ran the ball pretty well, but Nick Chubb was bottled up throughout the evening. I think he had 18 carries for 25 yards. You are right on the button there. Sony Michelle also had 14 carries for 98. So he did well. I yeah. mean, he was able to get some running room, but it certainly wasn't Neither anything. Neither got into the end zone. It, either. It, it certainly wasn't anything like the like the week before, mm-hmm. uh, where you know Sony had uh, four touchdowns overall, yeah. and I think on eleven touches. Mm-hmm. So it was it was really incredible in that game. But then you also look that you're going up against Oklahoma's defense, which throughout the year and and for most of the time hasn't been looked at as a strong defense they they showed that they were a stronger defense this year i think that's a, a reason why they were able to help get themselves to the to the playoff and you know their offense helps of course but they they showed some promise on the defensive side but not in the game against uh, georgia but then you look at alabama and they did just did such a great job on the defensive side of the ball against the run. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I was yelling last night at the TV uh, at, at certain Alabama. <laughs> letting, your, letting your fandom come out. At certain bit. Alabama uh, defenders in the in the backfield, <laughs> they kept falling down on all their routes. It's uh, it's like, what are you doing? Yep. Get off the turf and play some defense. Mm-hmm. It's not helping at all by you falling down on all of these cuts that a receiver's making and letting them go for 80 yards and a touchdown. Yep. So... Those were things that that Georgia was able to do to Alabama early. And Jalen Hurts, as much as I think that he's a a good quarterback, I like him a lot. I think he makes some great plays. What he did last night was he was so much more willing to run first. Mm -hmm. And he did have some success running the football. I believe six carries, 47 yards for him. He was the leader for a while in that category for Alabama until they got things going. But he was... He was failing to be able to really make reads down the field and then feel comfortable and confident to be able to make those throws. He was mm-hmm. really, really struggling. He looked very much out of his comfort zone doing that. And and, and he, part of it, I think, that is uh, attributed to Georgia's good defense and their defensive pressure and the rush that they had against him. But I think another part is that we're still seeing that Jalen Hurts isn't fully comfortable as a as a pocket passer I I was just gonna say yeah I I was just gonna say as a pocket passer he's a guy who still really relies on his on his wheels to be able to make plays outside of the pocket to do that which is a good thing but to a point Mm -hmm. and I think we saw that last night and for Nick Saban it got to a point where he believed that he had what now looks to be a secret weapon, what he was pulling out a secret weapon, which is no longer a secret, and Tua Tagovailoa, he did an excellent job last night. He came in, he played very confidently, and what Tua was able to bring was, as I just mentioned, a confidence with his arm, a confidence to make a throw deep down the field, not just a crossing route, not a crossing pattern, not a check down to a running back, deep down the field strikes to wide receivers, things that really helped to jumpstart the Alabama offense, things that helped to move drives, uh, get third downs, well, not a whole lot, but uh, you know that they necessarily converted for because that what they were doing is they were 
On first down, they were getting another first down. It was coming to second down, they'd get another first down. They didn't convert on a whole lot of third downs throughout the night, but they did Mm -hmm. end up getting a lot of first downs in the second half. Yeah. On first down and second down. That's what Alabama's jump start was and kickstart was last night. And that's what ended up helping them win the, the football game. It's because Nick Saban, you said it, that Nick Saban did not, it was an, an, not a Nick Saban-esque game, but what it did was that it showed people why he is the best coach in all of college football mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter. You know, everyone knows Alabama as this team who's up almost all the time by a lot because they're either just that much better than their opponent or they're playing Mercer. And it's the same, I mean, that's the same, that's the same thing, you know, and people will say, well, you know, they play, you know, a couple of these cupcake teams in their season. They, mm-hmm. they do. And, and you and I had a conversation about we're, last, about that last night. That I'm going to, I'm going to bring that up. That's going to be at the very end. The, that we're in agreement about that, but I'll, mm-hmm. I'll wait for that then. But they, they, they know Alabama to win these games big and for Alabama to have no, no points, no points at halftime against Georgia. Everyone's thinking, Georgia's got that. Not mm-hmm. everyone, but a lot of people are thinking, Georgia's got this. Yep. Nick Saban is not in a spot that he is going to do well in mm-hmm. because that's so many times people talk about, you know, they're never in this spot. They're always on the other side. Can they even make a comeback? And Nick Saban said, screw that. It doesn't matter that we have no points. It doesn't matter that we only had four first downs. We're going to make a change. Go to go to someone who I think is going to bring us some better outcomes, and we're going to make it happen. And that's exactly what happened. He was lucky enough to be able to have that happen for their team last night. Here's one question. I've got two questions in my head. The last one's going to be what you mentioned about kind of my biggest worry for the kind of aftermath of this game. However, the one thing that I'm sitting there in my head, and you and I both talked about this again last night, but I want to bring it up for everyone watching and listening, is I saw an ESPN article today, and it kind of voiced an opinion that I had last night, where the headline to the article read, Jalen Hurts, biggest fan of Tua Tenga Violola, but for how long? And the first thing I said to you after the game, and you could say this is me overreacting, I don't think it is, though, because if I'm Jalen Hurts, I've been starting for two years now. This was my second year starting. I feel challenged now. I said to you, I would not be surprised. I'm kind of leaning more towards the I bet on Jalen Hurts transferring because there's no way Tua loses the job next year. Tua is the starter for Alabama beginning 2018. And I know you're going to get the whole, well, they got to play during spring ball and they got to fight it out. You don't come in, second half, win the national title, and then, ah, we're going to forget about it because you got to battle this guy. Like, you already have a leg up in that. If there is a competition, you have a leg up for winning that national championship. That's what I'm looking at. And I feel like if I'm trying to predict the crystal ball right now, two is going to be starting for Alabama. Jalen Hurts will be playing somewhere else. So I think you're wrong. Um, And the reason why I think you're wrong is because – Jalen Hurts isn't twenty five and two as a starter by some fluke. Mm-hmm. You know he he's not twenty five and two because you know he just got lucky. He's twenty five and two, and one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC because he 
is talented. He's a talented quarterback, and he knows what he's doing there, doing back there behind center. Are there things that he still needs to get better at? Yeah, I mean, I already mentioned that. And my my whole thought to you, I think last night when you when you had brought that up, is that we're seeing one glimpse of Jalen Hurts not mm-hmm. being at his best. We're seeing a glimpse of Tua being at probably one of his best, and. You know, if if it's if it's reversed, if it's Tua doing that, you know, having the the first half that Hertz had, and then Hertz comes in and does what Tua did in the second half, you're probably you, Ricky Widmer, still probably saying the same thing. Um, that you know, oh, Tua's going to be transferring; he's going to be getting out of there. And I think that the reason why we cannot say that is because of the fact that. Hurt showed us, has showed us many things throughout his time at Alabama that he's really, really good, that he's good with his legs and that he is good with his arm and that he can be, can be a pocket passer, but he needs to get better at it. I think, though, why would he stay there is because if it's now certainly a a, a competition, I mean, we're going to see that. And Nick Saban has said, mm-hmm. we're going to see these two battle it out in the offseason Jalen Hurts would be silly to go somewhere else because I think that he'll develop more as a quarterback now more than ever, knowing that he does have that competition there, knowing that Tua came and brought it at his best on the national stage in front of millions of people, and that Jalen Hurts wants to get better. And I think Tua will force him to get better, will force him to eventually have to get confident and get into a mold of where you have to be more of a throwing quarterback. And it's it's not to say that you have to throw it every single time and you can't mm-hmm. run anymore. But it's certainly to say he's going to want to get better as a as a pocket passer, as a throwing quarterback. We we saw, I mean that he was making strides in the offseason to get to this year. But we see that there's still more to be done. However, though, I, I think that you look at some of the games, you look at the Mississippi State game that we saw from this year. Alabama really did not play well. And a, and a guy that kept them in that game and ultimately won that game for them, it was Jalen Hurts. It was Jalen Hurts and he won it on his arm. So I I, I think that we, we saw a really poor performance from him. But it would be, I think, a very, very poor decision and an ill-advised decision by Jalen Hurts, if he were to leave Alabama and say, you know, I'm done because this guy had a better game than me, so I assume I'm going to be forced out of my starting starting role where I went 25-2 and two in two seasons with Alabama. That would be absolutely ludicrous in my mind. He's going to stay at Alabama, and he's going to get better at Alabama, and it's going to be partially thanks to two and what he did last night. I kind of have to disagree with you. And the only reason why I disagree with you is I'm not saying that, first off, it's like I told you last night, I'm not saying that, oh, Jalen Hurts sucks, he's not going to start. The thing is, I believe you're partially right. Like the whole like wishful thinking of, yeah, he's going to get better under Tua, he's going to develop. But the thing I look at is this is two things. One is in an interview today, Dan Patrick had on, um, Lane Kiffin, 
And one of the things he said was a couple things. First, he said that he's like, I can say this now that I'm not no longer at Alabama. The reason they weren't afraid that they lost Jake Fromm when Kirby Smart went to Georgia was because they were so excited about having Tua come in. He's like, at the time, couldn't tell you that. But he's like, now I'm no longer at Alabama. Yeah, we were so excited to have Tua. We didn't care that Jake Fromm decommitted and went to um, the Georgia Bulldogs. Number two, and this to me was the big shocker. He goes, if Tua doesn't play last night, he was going to transfer. Like, that's what Lane Lane Kiffin's like, I know that for sure his plan was to transfer if he didn't play at all. Like, if last night didn't happen, Tua's going somewhere else. And I kind of feel like the flip side's going to happen. It's not going to happen this year. It's not going to be like Jalen Hurts comes out, you know what, there's no way I'm winning. I'm going to just transfer right away. I feel like there's a part of Jalen Hurts that is what we saw last night. The teammate, hey, he did a great job. I'm just happy to win um, a national championship. However, the reason why I don't think Jalen Hurts right now, right away, goes, oh, I'm transferring, is because of where we are in the season. Like, for most colleges, spring semester started yesterday. We're recording this on Tuesday. Most of them started on Monday of this week. So you're kind of behind the eight ball. He's like, most football programs are, he's like, Lane Kiffin even says, like, yeah, we, this week, we started. Like, we started the semester shortly after we're going to start our preparations for the next football season. This is where your early enrollees even come in to get a leg up on everything coming in for the new football season. So this is how I see it kind of mapping out. Jalen right now is an Alabama Crimson Tide. What's going to happen is we're going to go through spring football. We're going to go through the offseason. There will be a quarterback battle. Of course, Nick Saban's not going to be a guy to say Tua won it because he won the national title. Of course, there's going to be a battle. But what I think is if Tua wins the battle, which I'll be honest, even after one half last night, like hearing Tua explain what he did on that final catch and then watching the replay, I'm like, that's pro-level shit right there. Like pro-level stuff to look, hey, I'm going to look you off of my receiver and then go to him. Yeah. And then be able to explain that in a post-game interview. Like... I even said to you, I'm like, you know what? Last week I said Fromm's going to be the number one pick. Scratch that. Two or three years, we're going to be talking draft, and we're going to be asking the question either on here or the the onside kick, who would you rather have, Tua or Jake Fromm? And, we're uh, going to be having that conversation. And, and folks, there might be another couple more scratch that's as we go along the way, and Ricky likes his flavor Maybe. of the week, he quarterbacks. I, but I, I, but I like I what I see what from these saying. two quarterbacks, know especially like – I'm going to say Tua more so than Jake Fromm. The thing I like most about Jake Fromm is that leadership quality, and I think that's going to carry him. He's the one that's going to, I think, develop more so and more so. This was just the first time we're seeing him. But back to Jalen Hurts. I think what happens is, let's say he loses the battle, because that's what I think is going to happen. I think Tua's the better quarterback. I think that the only reason why he didn't start this season was Jalen Hurts was coming in only one loss from the year before, and this year was winning games, really, like you even mentioned last night. He helped them win that Mississippi State game. 
that they almost lost. He only lost one game this year as well. Like last night was probably the worst that we've seen Jalen Hurts play all season. However, what I could see happening and what I think will happen is Tua wins the job. At that point, Jalen Hurts has the decision. I have officially lost the job. Do I sit there and become a backup and probably be Tua's backup for two for my final two years, barring an injury to Tua? Or do I go ahead and say, you know what? I myself am deciding to redshirt this junior year. See, this is the tricky part because he's already played. If he transferred, he'd have to sit out. So he's got really two choices. He can say, if he wants to transfer, he could say, I'm redshirting so I don't lose eligibility. Then transfer, but then you'd have to sit out another year, I think. Or you can go, I'm transferring, lose your junior year of eligibility as to his backup, then lose a year of like having to sit out a year, then play your senior year. The thing that I think is going to be the ultimate decision for Jalen Hurts and what I think will be is if he loses that quarterback battle, I don't see Jalen Hurts being a guy that NFL teams go, yeah, I want to draft him. I think that he'll be lost and he'll be like the Jake Cokers of the Alabama where it's like, wow, he's a great college quarterback, but he's not an NFL quarterback. Like that's what I think will happen. So it'll become a decision for Jalen of do I want to play football and actually start somewhere or do I just want to be the backup here at Alabama and maybe play if Tua gets injured or if Tua has a bad game? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, we know Alabama's not big on getting their quarterbacks to the NFL, yeah. just their running backs. Yeah, well, unless uh, you're like A.J. McCarron. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I I, I feel like when you when you look at the, the history, though, of and I, I'm not saying this to, to write off you know the mm-hmm. fact that, and I'm not trying to, to disrespect Tua or Jalen, Alabama, they are, it's, it's, you know, it's uh, running back you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it is. that's what that's what they typically mm-hmm. typically are known for. Uh, to go back to your point, though, is here's what I think that is partially getting lost in this. Okay, is that Jalen Hurts was pulled last night at halftime after he he knows he has to know himself. He yeah. didn't play well, and he has to outwardly. He doesn't have to outwardly express that, but within like locker rooms and stuff like that, no. With him and his teammates and his mm-hmm. coaches, he knows he didn't play well. He knows he could have played a whole heck of a lot better. And they're going to say, yeah, you could have. But guess what? They won a national championship. He's got a national championship to his name. That's huge. He didn't get pulled and then they lost the game. Now, if he would have gotten pulled and they still lost the game, now there's maybe a little bit more incentive and reason to say, you pulled me. And we mm-hmm. still lost. You didn't even give me that chance to bring us back. But that didn't happen. You won. And you have a national championship. See, that's the thing that I... Maybe it's because me personally, if I was in Jalen's situation... And of course, like I said, it all comes down to this upcoming spring if he loses the job. Which, I'm going to be honest, right here and now, I'm foreseeing Tua being the starting quarterback next year. I think at this point there is no way that he loses that job unless he like basically space jams it and forgets how to play football. Like this kid is special, probably should have been starting this year, but you couldn't pull 
Jalen early in the year. You had but, to wait until he could. But that's again, you have to ask the question, and you have to say, should should he have been starting this year? How can you say here, should he have been starting this year when Jalen Hurts was winning them football games? And now, here's my now, bigger point. That's not even the point say, I but, wanted to but, get. But on. now, if you look back, though, could you have said mm-hmm. and say, well? If Tua would have been in that game against Auburn, would they have won? Would he have been able to help propel them? I mean, I'm. I mean, the word could is in hindsight. Well, hindsight, everything works out the way that it should. Yeah, have, but I'm it's not, not even throwing out there like, a, oh, if Tua would have played, they would have went undefeated. No, I'm not playing that. What I'm saying is, and that wasn't even the point I wanted to get at. The point I wanted to get at is maybe this is my personal feeling, but I wouldn't want to be the player to. Well, guess I'm gonna be the backup. Doesn't matter if I win a nat- like if, as long as I'm winning national championships, I'd be the player that's like, hey, you know what? I'm probably not gonna get to the NFL. My career's probably over after I graduate from college. I want to go out there and actually start, and I want to go to the team that's gonna give me an opportunity to do that. If that opportunity is not here, but that's again me. If I was the football player. I wouldn't want to just sit behind a guy and be content because, oh, I'm winning national championships. No, I would want to then be like, hey, you know what? I love being here, but I know the reality of it, and I want to go somewhere else where I am going to start and get to play football because there are guys where it's like maybe we know it best because we went to a smaller school where once you're done as a senior – you're done. You're not going to the NFL. For the most like, part. That's how low, like, there was only one player in my college career from the school that both you and I went to that even tried out with an maybe two players out of my four or five years in college that even tried out with an NFL team from the NAIA. And that's something that I think we can't tell if that's going to happen right now. But that's going to be the thing that kind of decides this. What I want to move into, because we've already gone really long on this, this is the last thing I want to bring into this, is what you mentioned earlier. Conversation you and I had last night, you referenced to it when you made fun of the Mercer game. My biggest worry following this national championship is that teams will now look at Alabama and go, not the team in general, I think this year Alabama proved that you can say anything about their schedule, they deserve to be in the college football playoff. I know Ohio State fans can say, we deserve to be there. Did you see us beat the crap out of the Trojans from Southern Cal? Yeah, I did. But Alabama went on to beat the team that everyone had them favored. Like Everyone was picking Clemson to win that game. There were a few people picking Alabama, but the majority were picking Clemson to win that game. And then even in the national championship, yeah, they were favored by Vegas, but there was still a huge contingency that's like, I think that Georgia goes ahead and pulls this one out. I think they were more of an underdog pick-wise in the Clemson one, though. They go out and they beat, to me, the team that everyone had penned to be in the national championship, and then they go out and beat probably the best defense and the best mirror to themselves. It was basically like looking themselves in the mirror last night with what Kirby Smart brought to that team. But what I fear will happen is that college football teams look at it and go, you know what, based on the committee, based on what I've seen, 
I'm not going to take that stab. I'm not going to go out there and play in Oklahoma. I'm not going to go out there and play in Ohio State. I'll schedule a Citadel. I'll schedule a College of Charleston. And a couple that I want to just throw out there really quick. This is next year's conference, non-conference schedules, just some of the big teams that we've seen. Clemson, they're going to do a carbon copy, basically, of what they did this year. They're going to play two cupcake games in Furman and Georgia Southern, just like they did against Kent State and Citadel this year, and then play at Texas A&M. But, you know, Texas A&M, new head coach this upcoming year. So Jimbo Fisher going to be just kind of getting his culture set up. We don't know what we're going to see from the Aggies. And then South Carolina, because they're always going to play the Gamecocks in that rivalry. Then I go on, you go to Oklahoma. They're going to play Florida Atlantic, which... I, I got to give them, I got to give Florida Atlantic credit. I'm going to do that in a second. But they play Florida Atlantic. They're going to play a Chip Kelly team where Chip Kelly's just coming in. And guess what? He's losing Josh Rosen and then Army. So their schedule already is not what they were. This year was UTEP Tulane. Good luck trying to lose to those teams. And then Ohio State, their only big game on the non-conference. Florida Atlantic, though, I got to give them credit. I know Frost is leaving um, UCF, but... They're playing at Oklahoma in September. Then late September, they're playing at Southern Florida. Hey, national champions, we're coming to you. And then they're playing Air Force and Bethune-Cookman. So those are their two cupcakes. But they're the ones where it's like Lane Kiffin. I love Lane Kiffin going to Oklahoma next year saying, hey, you know what? Let's play a big dog. But moving on to the other big guys, um, Ohio State, they've got Oregon State, TCU at a neutral site in Texas, and then Tulane. You've got Penn State playing Appalachian State, Pittsburgh, and Kent State. Nothing to really talk about there. Wisconsin, the easiest of everything I'm looking at. Western Kentucky, New Mexico, and BYU. Kind of similar to what they did this year, except for Florida Atlantic because of what Lane Kiffin was supposed to or go or what he did do this year. Then we have Georgia with Austin P, Mid-Tennessee, UMass, and Georgia Tech. And then the last one I'll say is Alabama. They got Louisville. This is a Nick Saban schedule through and through. We'll play Louisville to open the season in Orlando, Florida. So we're playing a neutral site close to Alabama, so I don't have to travel that far. Then we'll play Arkansas State, uh, Louisiana, Lafayette, and the Citadel. Come on! Are you kidding me? Like, this is what I'm fearing for teams. Because, like, Ohio State, I'm looking at them. In 2020 and beyond, they only have one or two games scheduled in non-conference. If I'm Ohio State in 2020 with how things are going, I'm just saying, hey, you know what? I'll keep Bowling Green in Oregon. Mercer, come on. I'll even go to you to play. Come on. Come for a payday. Uh, You know, so I've got a lot of comments on this. And the first one would be with with Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin. You can say what he's done in the past, which hasn't been mm-hmm. good with uh, the programs that he's been at. He's got a pair. But I think he has learned um, what he's got to be able to do, um, you know, to to get recognition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know they they schedule these, they say they schedule these, you know, well in advance and everything like that, years out and, and stuff. But to be able to be playing Oklahoma, to be playing UCF. Guess, and be play- guess where he's going next uh, in 2019, too, to open the season? Who? Ohio State. He's going to the horseshoe. I, 
I I think that these are things, and this is a model that other teams at that at that level, um, in terms of not Power Five, should really take into consideration mm-hmm. to mirror. But on the flip side of that coin, teams like Alabama, teams like Ohio State, teams that are well known in the Power Five, that are beasts of the Power Five. They need to continue to show that, and they need to realize that just because you have, just because you schedule one game like 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 that, like let's say Louisville, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not even say Louisville is going to be a wonderful team next year, but so there exactly. you go. So so you can't just do that anymore, and this has to go across all of the Power Fives, especially the ones at the top, to say, well, mm-hmm. I scheduled so and so. And just because my conference is good, my my uh, yeah, so my my conference, conference my games. conference schedule, my conference teams that I play are good because I'm in a good conference. That is going to suffice for everything. They need to get stronger on the out of conference schedule. That has to be across the board. You know, I I'm I'm able to sit there and and I'll bring up. You know, I I, I talked about UCF if they want to be able to 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 get to the playoff and if they mm-hmm. want to be within the top 10 conversation not to not at the very end of the year when everyone's already won the national championship to then the AP come out and say you're six <laughs> but when you're hey man, actually four first place when votes. you're when you're actually playing and you're actually in a playoff to get there you need to be able to schedule the tough teams but at the same time those teams have to be willing to play you and that is the problem, is that if teams are not willing to play them, shame on those teams. Mm-hmm. Because if they think they're that good, then they should be able to beat anybody. And I can't, you know, say one talk out of one side of my mouth and then say something on the mm-hmm. other side. I, I wanna I, as a as a talking head on one of these things, wants to be kind of consistent and say, you know, Alabama, and, and I didn't like it. I, and I've told you, and I've told, I've told, told you in night. the season that I didn't like Alabama playing Mercer at all. Can't even or, click on Or him. at that point, yeah, that was my <laughs> joke. You couldn't click on Mercer. Still, that's how. Oh, wait, I could click on him now. Never mind. That, 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 that's how, you know, BS of a game that was. The committee was. heard you, so they're like, hey, ESPN, can you make him fucking clickable so Brandon keeps shutting up? But, but, but you know. You know what I'm saying. I know and what you're saying. I know that we've been on this topic for a while already, so we're going to have to move on, I know. But mm-hmm. but they they overall, teams overall, Power 5, non-Power 5, they need to be able to try and schedule games that are against quality opponents outside of their, of their conference. And those teams that they're trying to schedule with need to allow it because I, I, I really think that's that's – how we're going to be able to recognize your UCFs and teams mm-hmm. like them in the top 10 earlier in the season and for us to say, okay, UCF played Ohio State and UCF won. UCF should be in that conversation now. Mm-hmm. And I know I am a person who, if you're if, if, if you're able to schedule and be able to get in, in with some teams that are Power 5, that are quality Power 5, because there's non-quality Power Five too. You can't just say you played a Power Five and I mean you can play Illinois, do. but it's exactly. a non-quality exactly. Power five. So if you're able to play quality Power Fives and you're able to beat them, then you should be in the conversation. And and I think that Power Fives cannot be worried then, and they cannot use oh I don't want to lose to them, mm-hmm. so I'll just move on to someone I know I'll beat. They they've got to stop doing that as well. 
The thing that I think needs to change the most, and this will kind of be the ending point that I kind of make, is the thing that needs to change immediately is the fact that, like, you look at an ACC schedule like Clemson, you look at an SEC schedule like Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, and the thing that those two have in common is four non-conference games. However, you look at a team like Oklahoma, you look at a team like Southern Cal, you look at a team like Ohio State, they only get three non-conference games because they have to play an extra conference Mm -hmm. game. And the thing that I, like, that's the big thing to me is we need to, with conference scheduling, I would love a world where it's like everyone plays the same amount of conference games, there's no question here, or... If it's like, oh, I can't even remember who said it. I think it might have been um, Rick Neuheisel um, on the Dan Patrick show when he was talking about his playoff system. I'm not saying go with his playoff system, but like what he was saying was you have each of the power fives, do whatever you want to settle your two best teams at the end of the year. Do whatever scheduling you want, have whatever championship game you want. But at the end of the where we have it now, so at the end of conference championship week, you have to settle your two best teams, and those two teams go into the playoff or go into the championship game. But it's a such a lopsided when Ohio State might have to play an extra opponent, and that extra opponent coming from the other side of the Big Ten could be an Iowa who knocked them off this year, whereas Alabama doesn't have that extra game. Ah, we can schedule Mercer for that one late in the season and I get why Nick Saban does that. Cupcake game before the Iron Bowl. But I'll that, give you a cupcake before our really tough game. But I'll tell you what, though, is that I going back to what I said mm-hmm. then, it didn't help them because no, it didn't. You, you don't have to get up for that cupcake game. Yeah. You, you quote unquote, you know you're going to win yeah. that one. But then does that do you any favors as you then go into the mm-hmm. Iron Bowl? Because now all of a sudden you're coming off this, you know, lull of, ah, that was so easy, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, then it's then is it it's hard to go into that because you're not taking any momentum. It's like whatever. You didn't and take then the you game into, seriously at all. Exactly, and I'm not saying that you have to schedule Ohio State right before you play, mm-hmm. um, right before you play in the Iron Bowl and play Auburn. But you you you've got to get going. You know, you've got to get a team in there that makes you at least get up a little bit. Like I know the one thing I love the Big Ten for was. They made a rule, I think it was two years ago or a year ago, where they said, you know what, enough with this FCS crap. If you play an FCS school, we're going to penalize you. Or they're like, you know what, you can't play FCS schools anymore. So that's why we don't see that in the Big Ten. I think the big thing, though, is making sure it's like, okay, if you're playing three, everyone's playing three non-conference games. Everyone plays the same number of... Um, conference games in the season. However, A, I don't think that happens. B, that's harder than it is. But we've gone on on this enough, national championship recap, and then these two kind of extra conversations at the end. I'm going to turn it on to you guys, though. What do you guys think? What do you think of the game? What do you think of the Tua-Jalen conversation we had? And then the scheduling little aftermath of that's my biggest worry of what this could happen to the future of college football. Let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. But Brandon, let's move on. And I know that if you're on Blog Talk Radio, you're sitting there going, holy crap, guys, there's still more to this. 
There's still more to this podcast. I feel like I just listened to an entire podcast with our first segment. But, hey, and what you, a way to end the college football season. And you know what I feel like I need to say, even <laughs> though as we head into a, a college basketball uh-huh. segment, is congratulations to Georgia for getting there um, to the uh, totally championship. Totally should have been said because, in the last segment. Because we never like no. said that, mentioned that. It was all about Alabama and things going on there. So uh, Georgia, really honestly, hats off to you guys. Kirby Smart has a great defense and a great team, and he's going to be a coach who's there a lot. So now we can move on. I feel better. I mentioned, we can move on. I mentioned Jake Fromm. About once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about it. That's about it. But you are right. But now we're going to move into college <laughs> basketball, and this is where we take our we, – we put that foot down, and we're pivoting a little bit more. We're kind of setting that plant into basketball season, and we're kind of doing a little kind of pseudo-NBA draft topic slash college basketball topic, whereas – Michael Porter Jr., I said it about, I think on our big board, actually. I said that there were reports from December 12th saying that, oh, in four weeks, Michael Porter Jr. could be coming back, which this week would have been four weeks or will be for or is four weeks, I should say, from that report that I mentioned. And I'm looking at an article right here on CBSSports.com that says Michael Porter Jr. still won't rule out playing for Missouri this season. What I'm going to ask you first, Brandon, is kind of related draft side to it, but really with Michael Porter, is should Michael Porter Jr. return this season and play for Missouri? No. No. My my answer to that would be would be no. Uh, I think that... Uh, you know, not not too long ago, it it didn't sound like he was necessarily in a hurry to get back on the court, mm-hmm. and he came into this uh, season as a five star freshman, as the number two recruit in the twenty seventeen class, a preseason All American. Things that he has going for him before he ever gets started. I mean, that's absolutely impressive. So one of the things that we talked about when we were talking about big board and things like that, I can't remember the player that it was with, Mm -hmm. but the fact that, Oh, it was with the, I can't remember his name right now, but the one just coming from high school and not going to college. And he was just coming out, going to the NBA. It was either Mitchell Robinson or Anthony Simmons, uh, Mitchell Robinson, I believe. So one of the points that I made, Robinson's the one that's automatically, he's going to the pro Simmons is still weighing college options. So I think it was my point with Robinson Mm -hmm. was that a, a thing that could be working in his favor is that there's not as much tape on him that scouts can look at and critique and critique and critique. And then possibly let's say talk themselves out of something um, instead of talking themselves into it. Mm-hmm. The same could possibly said here be said here for Michael Porter Jr. Now, if he doesn't play and he goes to the NBA, people can look at that and go, well, look at all the good stuff we've got on him. You know, there's there's not really that 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 tape out there, that film to be able to say, OK, well, he, you know, he did this wrong and ooh, it looks like he's got a little something here or he's mm-hmm. got a, you know, a twitch here. You know, so, you know what I'm saying is that if there's not that there's not that opportunity for them to really pile a whole lot on. So I think by him having all those Accolades, I'd almost say already, by being the number two recruit, five-star freshman, preseason All-American before you step on the floor. 
Those are things already working in your favor Mm -hmm. and reasons why I don't think that he necessarily needs to play this year Mm -hmm. to still be okay for the NBA draft. No, I am completely agreeing with you. And my big thing... I feel like we haven't agreed in a while. Well, mine is very simple of, I mean, this is me being totally, completely honest and kind of detaching the feeling, same feelings that we've talked about with a Miles Bridges before, is is Missouri a team that's probably going to win the tournament this year? No. Are they a team that's going to win the national championship, which is the same thing? No. I answered the same question twice. So my first thought is if you're thinking NBA draft, why risk re-injuring yourself to play for a team that's probably not going to win the national title. And I know that's me and people are going to say, well, Ricky, you shouldn't be like that because there's always a chance. But the thing that I also look at, and this is a big thing for me, is what if he's a guy, because right now they're 11-4 and non-conference, they're 1-1 one one in the SEC. What if Michael Porter Jr. is a guy like Miles Bridges? And this is a conversation I think is great for us is right now the article says he won't rule out returning. So in my mind, what I think is happening is Michael Porter's thinking about, and I don't know Michael Porter Jr. However, I'm trying to get into the mind of Michael Porter right now. You've played, I think a few minutes, I think he played two games this year before he got injured. It's when you were coming to Missouri, everything was very emotional because you wanted to play for coach Martin. Like, um, you, Coach Martin was a big reason why you came to Missouri. Your brother, John Tay, I believe it's John Tay or Jorte. Um, yeah, John Tay, reclassified from 2018 to 2017 in order to play with you this year. So they're both on the Missouri team right now. I think right now Michael Porter's sitting there kind of deciding of, do I want to go? And be a top five, well, right now, top five, if we're looking at your big board, top six, um, picking the draft, or do I want to stay, get a full season next year, and have that, well, it's the emotional side of it, I get to play with my brother for a full season, I get to play for Coach Martin, which was a big reason why I came to Missouri, and I get to do it here at Mizzou. That's what I think is weighing. Do I want to go to the NBA and basically get paid? Or do I want to stay in college, play with my brother? Because let's be honest, no one's talking about John Tay Porter in the NBA draft. And that's a big thing. Do I want to have the chance to play with my brother for a full season before I go pro? You know, I think that there's there's a lot of things to look at here for for Michael Porter Jr. And it was actually, I think, someone who made a comment in on our on one of our big boards, and it, it had to have been the one, it, maybe it was uh, one through five, mm-hmm. when I think you had him in there, so I think we talked yeah. about him at, at, at that point. Because I had him at two. Someone, yeah, yeah you had him high, um, is that someone had commented and said, oh, you know, it's just an injury, you know, he'll, he can bounce back from that, he could come, should come back, couldn't come back. And someone then commented, you know, dude, this is a this is a back injury. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't you know an ankle. This isn't you know this or that or the other thing. This is a back injury, something that you really have to take seriously. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I I think that with him not not 
necessarily being in a hurry to get back on the floor. Uh, from a competitor standpoint, you want to you don't want to leave the floor, and that's I think still where where Michael Porter Jr. is at. But from a understanding that this is your health and that this is going to be hopefully your livelihood for for quite some time, mm-hmm. you need to understand that you don't want to get back on the floor too soon. So. For a back injury like this, certainly something you don't want to mess with. You take as long as you need to to be 100%. And is there going to come a point when he feels he's 100%, like in his mind 100% mm-hmm. he can go out there and do it? Yes. And is that going to be possibly different than 100% healthy? Yes. So I think that he really needs to wait till he's that 100% healthy to be able to get back on the floor and whether it's this year or whether it's next year and whether it's in the NBA or it's back at college again to be able to, if he feels like he needs to prove or, you know, something here in, in, in college that he wasn't able to do this year, obviously because of the injury, or if it's something where he knows, okay, I'm, I'm being told I, I, I am still going to be a pretty high pick in the NBA draft this year. Then you, that's something that you look at, and that's where Ricky has said that it's it's similar to Miles Bridges from mm-hmm. last year. But I think again, with an injury like this, you have got to be certain that you're okay to go back out there and not re-injure it because it's it's not an ankle, it's not it's not something like that, it's not a tweak. Mm-hmm. This is a full fledged back injury and back surgery. That is that's pretty major. Well, I mean, when he was asked about it um, in his first uh, media appearance since the season opener, he basically said that it's too early to tell. And the exact quote he said is, my time is coming. I just can't rush it. So he's taking the recovery process slow. And the one fact I want to get right, someone's probably already told us in the comment section. I had to look back at the articles when he did commit. It wasn't that he wanted to play for Coach Martin. It was that when Coach, uh, I think it was Coach Romar, was fired from Washington, where he was originally going to go, his father, Michael Porter Sr., was on that staff. Mm -hmm. After that staff was all let go, Coach Martin hired his father. So now that adds another part to it is, do I want to go to the NBA, get paid, or do I want to stay in college where for one more season, I can actually play with my brother and me and my brother can play for my dad. Yeah. Like, and have that kind of father son kind of trio for one full year in basketball. I know what people are saying, though. Go pro, go pro, because you don't want to risk an injury. Like, I'll be completely honest. When Michael, or not Michael, when Miles Bridges came back this year and they were playing Ferris State in an exhibition and Bridges went up for a block and kind of got checked at the hip by a ducking shooter and landed face first on the turf, my heart skipped a beat. Like, holy shit, we were right. He should have went to the pros. Like, that is what people are going to, like, obviously it's don't risk an injury. You've already had an injury. Don't risk it again. Go and get paid if a team's going to draft you. Plus, there's other people on the other side of, like, go to the pros Kind of like I'll use Joel Embiid as the story where, yeah, he could have stayed in college, but the coaching and the training staff that you get is better at the pro level and can help you. Maybe help you with your back injury. Maybe help you, like, overall coaching. However, I wouldn't be surprised, like I said, if this is a Miles Bridges situation and if Michael Porter 
doesn't play this year, let's say he doesn't play the rest of this year, if he sits there and goes, I want to play with my brother and for my dad, so I'm going to stay. But here's what I think, and this is what I'm going to kind of move into this before we move into what what his return would mean for the Missouri Tigers. My prediction for everything is that I don't think, and I'm going to be wrong, I know I am, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyways. He's not going to play the regular season. What's going to happen is the entire regular season he will not play, and then come conference tournament time, he'll he'll judge then. If Missouri's on the bubble and needs a couple quality wins, he'll play that first tournament game. Or he might play like that Vanderbilt game, Arkansas game at the end of the regular season. But I think it's either he plays towards the end of the season into the postseason or he doesn't play at all. That's what I'm thinking. And I'm still standing by. I don't think that he's going to play at all. I don't think he's going to risk the injury, and then he can reassess and reevaluate at the end of the season on whether he's going to go to the NBA or if he stays back in college for a year. Well, let's transfer a little bit and move over kind of at the end of this segment, kind of look at if he does return sooner rather than both you and I said. Missouri right now, like I said, was a, what, 10-2 and team? Now they're an 11-4 and team. Got to throw out there. Bragging rights, what up? Illinois beating the Missouri Tigers. Got to throw that out there. 70-64 win whenever I can. Um, but they're a team that went, what, 11 and no, they went 10 and 3. The Bragging rights game was their last non conference game. 10 and 3 in non conference. They're 1 and 1, beating South Carolina on the road, losing to Florida at home. They've got the rest of their SEC schedule, which consists of a game, big games against Auburn, two against Kentucky. They're going to play Alabama on the road with Colin Staxton. They're going to see Tennessee, who's ranked 24 right now. I want to ask you this, Brandon. If Michael Porter Jr. returns sooner rather than when you and I say he's going to return, you say next season, I say towards the postseason after the regular season, what would his return mean for the Missouri Tigers in this conference play? Oh, well, I think it would certainly boost them. I think it would certainly boost them to the next level. And one of the things that, that he's saying is he's watching all these guys, and he's like, I, I'm enjoying watching these guys. I'm enjoying what they're doing out there you know, on, on, on the floor. But he said, I know I can be out there doing exactly that, mm-hmm. if, if not doing you know some things better, bringing, being able to bring even more to this team. So... I think that this is something where he's going to make them better. Mm-hmm. There's no question. But it's it's again one of those where I where I have to go back to the injury and say do you feel like you're 100%? Are you 100% healthy? If he's 100% healthy, he's going to go out there, he's going to propel them to a spot in in the in the postseason. And if he doesn't then we'll see if Missouri is able to do that on their own then but I I think that I think that he's you're never going to say that Michael Porter Jr. didn't help to bring them a couple more wins Mm -hmm. if he's out there on the floor you wouldn't be able to say he's a top well I'll I'll say top 10 NBA prospect because you had him at six. I thought you were talking Um, another. I thought you were talking going. No, I wasn't talking just my big board. He's top two on mine, but he is a top 10, top five prospect for a reason. And of course, 
anytime he comes back. Here's the thing that I think of, though. And both you and I this past weekend actually talked to an athlete who's in college right now who had injured herself in a game. Now she's back. And the thing she even said is, oh, man, there was a layup there. That was really nice because I was able to trust that leg again. And the whole thing is when he comes, let's say he comes back in the next two games. He's not going to come back and, boom, be Superman right away. Like, I know he's going through the recovery and everything, but when you're out on the court after an injury, whether it's an ACL, whether it's a back, whether it's a torn labrum, you have to trust that again. And, I mean, with the torn labrum, when it's anything with the shoulder, and I know Michael Porter isn't, but, like, you can see something where what we're looking at Markel false at the next level. Injures his shoulder, then it's like, wow, he's not shooting the same anymore. But, like... ACL back, it's kind of the same thing. Of once you're out there, you got to trust that in to trust it to where a you're not going to have in your mind like oh I'm going to get injured again, but also trust it to be like yeah I can do this. You know what? It it it, it it's sturdy out there. Like that's why some you go out there on the knee, you have the knee brace out there just for sometimes it's physical support, other times it's mental support to help you be like yeah I got this. I can trust this knee again. So there's also that side of it, too, that if he comes back, trusting the back and trusting the injury. Yeah, I think that you're number, you're, you're number one. I think you're, you're spot. I am number one. I think, Thank yeah, you, Brandon. Th- I really appreciate no, number that. Number one you in all made of my our hearts. I, I did not mean to say that. I don't know where <laughs> I was going with that one. I'm going gonna, gonna to throw this out there, though. I was coming up with the some of the teams in the top seven. The only team I left out are the top eight. only team I left out was Texas Tech. But the thing that kind of... I'm looking at right now. You've got West uh, West Virginia, who's number two right now. They have four players, four or five, four players averaging double digits per game. You look at Virginia. They're the anomaly. They have two. However, Virginia is always a team that is, we're going to win with our defense. West Virginia is like that too, but still, I mean, four players averaging double digits. Virginia is a team like that too. We're going to win with our defense. They only need two guys to score in double digits. Michigan State has basically the starters. They have five guys scoring double digits. You have Purdue, which has four guys scoring double digits. You have Wichita State, four guys scoring double digits. You have um, Duke, five guys scoring double digits. Oklahoma, they have three guys scoring double digits. You look at Missouri right now. They have two guys scoring 15 double digits. It's Jordan Jordan Barnett and... um, Cassie or Cassius Robertson. They're the only ones scoring double digits, 15.9, 15.4. That is something that I look at statistically that if Michael Porter Jr. comes back, that's going to boost them over because they go from a team that is not the same as Virginia. They're not going to focus on their defense as much as Virginia is. Get a guy who can give them at least 10 a game, and that's me being generous, just putting them in double digits, but having that third player, Michael Porter Jr., would be in double digits, and that would even help them boost them because it seems like you need at least three from the teams at the top of the rankings right now. Oh, absolutely you do. I mean, you can't have you can't look at it and have one guy or even two guys <laughs> that are in double digits and that are doing it all for you because eventually one of them is going to slow up. It's going to have to go to the other guy, and that's – I mean. I mean, when you honestly, when you look at it, and you don't. It, I'm I'm surprised that you know there's not you know 
how am I trying? What am I trying to say here? Is the fact that any team would be able to be up there mm-hmm. without having probably four scores in double digits because that's what you're going to find out of a top team, which is you what you were saying, top mm-hmm. teams. So that's why it's it's important for Missouri as a team to be able to get Michael Porter back because they know that they can get there with him, that they can make strides with him. But I, I, I always have to revert back to it's about him, it's about his decision, it's where he's at, and if he is ready, he'll come back. And it will take a couple of games, as you said. And what I was trying to say is not that you're number one, but you're spot on yep. with what you're saying. And I think that it's definitely going to be um, interesting to watch from here on out to see what ends up happening. Any final thoughts before we move on to our last topic? I just hope that he's able to make the decision that's best for him that he feels most comfortable with. And clearly he can see that other guys do it. Miles Bridges, as we already mentioned, is mm-hmm. a perfect example from last year. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know down below. First off, the should Michael Porter Jr. come back? Whether if you're looking at it from a draft side, you're looking at it from a Mizzou side, let us know what you guys think down below. And then also, if he does come back, what does that mean then for the Missouri Tigers? Does he make them a tournament team? Will they be, still be a team that's kind of on the bubble? Let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. But, Brandon, let's end the podcast talking about a little bit of college football NFL drafts down. What we're looking at is we're looking at two quarterback prospects today. We're taking a look at Mason Rudolph, who was a guy – in the onside kicks mock draft, did not make it into the first round for our 1.0. However, on our big board for 1.0, he did go ahead and make it into your big board. He was number 24 on your big board. We're also looking at Lamar Jackson, who I'm looking at your big board. I don't think he was on it, but with mine, he was also the same as you had Mason Rudolph. I had Lamar Jackson at number 24, and then on our mock draft, Mark and I both had him in the first round. Mark had him 29 to then the Vikings. I had him 32 to then the Steelers. Is that Lamar Jackson? Lamar Jackson. Okay. And those are the two we're looking at, Mason Rudolph, Lamar Jackson. And I'm going to throw you the question first because I never throw the question at myself. When it comes to the NFL draft, who should teams pick? Should they pick, basically, should they pick Mason Rudolph over over Lamar Jackson? Because I feel like the consensus is that more people are talking about Lamar rather than Mason Rudolph right now. I would say that I, I, I would go with Mason Rudolph over Lamar Jackson. And I know that you're not surprised by me saying no, that. No, I'm not. And the reason I know that you're not surprised is because... you've been on the record saying so. Well, yeah, well, that makes it easy. But also because... I am more of a fan of Mason Rudolph because of his style that he plays with. And I know that people will say, well, you know, why are you why are you knocking on Jackson's style? And it's it's not necessarily that it's, I'm knocking. I'm more lifting Rudolph's style. Mm-hmm. And he is a more pro-type, pro-ready quarterback at this point. At this point, and not saying that Lamar Jackson cannot get there, but at this point... Mason Rudolph, at 22 years old, um, you know, redshirt senior who threw over 1,400 passes in his collegiate career, looks better as an NFL 
style quarterback than Lamar Jackson does. Mm-hmm. Is Lamar Jackson able to do more things? Because is he does he also bring that style uh, in his running game? Yes. And does that possibly make him a a bigger threat? Yes. But I still think that most teams are looking for the style that Mason Rudolph brings as opposed to what Lamar Jackson brings. And I do not at all say that this is going to be something that that plummets him. Uh, But the last game that he played as a college quarterback was not good. His bowl game was horrific mm-hmm. and one that you want to forget. And is anyone going to, well, should, should, is anyone? Of course they will because they're terrible. But should anyone look at that and go, okay, write him off. He's done. We're not taking him. If you're smart, you won't. And they won't. But you certainly then want to be able to see some things in the combine. You certainly want to be able to uh, you know, go back and look at all of his other things that he's done well. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone has a bad game. We talked about it, you know, with Jalen Hurts, and uh, we know that people have a bad game, but we know we have to remember their good games and the good things that they bring. But you also have to do the same with Mason Rudolph. He had some really good stretches this season. He had some really big clunkers where not only did he fall off, but Oklahoma State just fell off in ge- in general. Uh, but then he kind of came back towards the end of the season and, and really, I think, wrapped it up well for him. But I think that the one thing, if there was one thing that I had to point out and pick out and say that Mason Rudolph is going to be the guy that I would take, it's because his style is more pro-ready and more geared towards an NFL quarterback style that we look at today. I will say this is a couple things. First off, the one thing I want to say is if you're one of those people that are going to say, Lamar Jackson, four IRTs in the bowl game, get him out of town, then you're probably the same person that thinks Josh Allen is the greatest thing since sliced bread because of his bowl game in the Idaho Potato Bowl. Because polar opposites. Lamar Jackson, great great season, bad bowl game. Josh Allen, shitty season, great bowl game. So that's the polar opposite to that point. The thing that I think is, should teams think of Mason Rudolph over Lamar Jackson? Really, it depends on the team to me. And the thing that I look at is, with Lamar Jackson, one of the biggest things that everyone is saying, and it's not completely false, is he's going to have to work on his accuracy at the next level, becoming a more accurate quarterback. You can't have games where there's only a few quarterbacks that can throw four or more interceptions in a game, Matt Ryan, and still win that game, Drew Brees. However, I don't see Lamar Jackson being either of those two guys. The thing that I look at when it comes to Lamar Jackson, because that's where I kind of feel where we are, where you'll be the Mason Rudolph homer, I'll sit on the side of Lamar Jackson because I've been on the record basically gushing over Lamar Action Jackson, is the thing between the two is Mason Rudolph, I think, is the, he's the better prospect if you're saying any team, plug him in, and he can fit in and kind of work his way. Because any team could use either a spread guy or a pocket-passing guy. The thing with Lamar Jackson is... 
he kind of needs two things. Well, three things I'll say. First off, and I say this and the first thing I think of is um, Matt Nagy th- talking about Andy Reid today during his press conference with the Bears is first he needs a coach that trusts him. Second off, he needs a coach that knows how to use his strengths to the team's advantage. And number three, he needs to be in the right system. He needs to be in the right situation. And the first one I kind of bring up for that is Russell Wilson. He was a guy drafted in the third round. Everyone thought, you know what, he's a 5'11 quarterback under six foot, not going to happen. However, he's in the right system. He's with a coach that trusted him from day one. It helps when you do have a phenomenal defense for most of your career, but it seems like Russell Wilson has been in the right system when it comes to the Seattle Seahawks. The other thing I've seen about Lamar Jackson, people saying is, oh, well, his frame and his size might be a problem. 6'3", 211. Not the height necessarily, but the 211 part. There are some quarterbacks that are having success in the NFL that are kind of similar. You, I'm not comparing them to this, by the way. I'm just saying they're similar in size and height. Deshaun Watson, he's an, in, he's an inch shorter, but four pounds heavier. You have Tyrod Taylor, who is two inches shorter, but four pounds heavier. You have Deshaun Kaiser, who, well, these are the two that are outside. Deshaun Kaiser, who, yes, he's an inch taller, but he's about 20 pounds bigger. And then, obviously, Cam Newton, who he's the specimen to where, yes, he's a mobile guy, but Lamar Jackson's never going to be 6'5", 245. So I look at it, and I, I kind of see Lamar Jackson... Being like right now, I could see him being a player to an NFL team eventually that Tyrod Taylor is. However, look at Tyrod Taylor's time. He spent four years with Buffalo, or not Buffalo, with Baltimore. Obviously, he wasn't going to start over um, Joe Wacko Flacco. However, then he goes to Buffalo after being in the league for four years, and now he's the starter of the Buffalo Bills who finally made the playoffs. And let's be completely honest, if Tyrod Taylor doesn't get injured on that last series, they might make it a game in Jacksonville rather than um, Nathan Peterman throwing that interception. So I look at it and I go, can Lamar Jackson be successful? Yes, but it's the right team that needs to draft him. Whereas Mason Rudolph, I feel like any team could draft Mason Rudolph and feel like, yeah, we got a guy who can fit our system and we can be confident in. So I want to just say a couple of things here, going back to Mason Rudolph, Mm -hmm. that a couple of AFC guys said, and and these these are quotes. Uh, coming, this one coming from an AFC scouting director. He's okay. He's playing in a great quarterback-friendly offense, probably has a top-10 caliber group of receivers. Gundy is a great coach mm-hmm. and does an outstanding job with that offense. I'm not sold on him as a top guy. He's a decent athlete. He's tough and runs that offense well, but not sure the video game numbers he's going to put up this year will translate to the NFL. So that's an AFC scouting director. And then you have an AFC personnel exec saying he's got good size, but his arm strength is lacking and he's inconsistent with his accuracy. Uh, And then another scout adds, not as good as the media wants everyone to believe. He's a day 
three guy. Mm-hmm. His accuracy isn't as good as the numbers show. His receivers make a lot of tough catches for him. Arm strength is adequate, not tops. What's the difference between him and Bryce Petty? So, interesting comments that people are saying. And now those are those are coming from AFC scouts. Mm-hmm. AFC execs. Yeah. And now if it's the Cleveland Browns, you can take it with a grain of salt. But I think that ultimately when you're looking at and you're saying, you know, who oh, he's just such a solid athlete. He's one hell of an athlete. We're not sure how it will translate to the NFL, but one hell of an athlete. You know who they're talking about? They're talking about Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's one person who said that he is not just a freak athlete and can do it all. But I think they're worried about where he falls in the NFL. Now, Ricky, you were just talking to me about this last night, saying that there was someone on ESPN saying that they look at Lamar Jackson as ending up in a receiver role. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And that's not the first time that we've heard that. Well, it's not the first time, but the thing that I hate about it is, like, maybe it's my mind, but I look at Lamar Jackson, and here's the thing I think of. When you're a guy, and the big one is Bill Polian who said it, and I love Bill Polian. I think he's a smart NFL mind. But when you say things like, oh, he's going to be an NFL receiver— Think about this. When I think of guys that are like, oh, they're quarterbacks who will be NFL wide receivers, I think of guys like Pat White and Marcus Vick, who it's like, good luck, you're not going to be a quarterback. Lamar Jackson is not a guy that can't be a quarterback at the next level. So part of me feels like when you say, ah, he's a he's a guy who moved to wide receiver, that's a slap in the face to Lamar Jackson. And that's the one thing. Just hearing you say it, it just it, it just it gets me it, it gets me going a little bit because I it's can't like tell. he's better than what Pat White was, and he's better than what Marcus Vick was. Those guys are guys who maybe they're wide receivers at the next level. Lamar Jackson's the guy who he deserves a shot at quarterback well, at the NFL level. Well, Lamar Jackson has muscle to him yeah. as well. I mean, those guys were you know Pat just, White was. Little tiny. He was that. He was the guy they used. All yes, right, he's our it, third stringer. He's in the Wildcat formation. In the Dolphins. Yeah. Yeah. So back I mean, when the Wildcat was, whoa, everyone's like, whoa, it what caught is us this? by surprise. What and, is this? And then NFL coaches are like, oh, that's how we beat it. And then no one heard of it again. And then the Dolphins <laughs> yeah. became terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think I think you're right. I think for people to just assume, and again, an NFL scout most likely will know better than us because they're literally watching. These players, the ins and outs, they're having mm-hmm. direct access to being able to see these things that maybe we're not seeing when we're watching a game. But I still do feel that he— Pat White was six foot 190. Come on. So I still, <laughs> I still feel as though Lamar Jackson, he needs to be given a shot at the quarterback position because mm-hmm. who's to say that he can't play it? I mean, honestly, who's to say that he can't play it without even ever giving him a chance? Yeah. So, for anyone to say that, well, you know, he's he might get drafted, but he'll get drafted as a wide receiver or as this position or as, you know, this or that, you know, I think that's a little silly to say, but I I I think that Lamar Jackson can be successful 
in the NFL can be, and it goes to, is he working with a head coach that's willing to work with him, mm-hmm. that's willing to, to make some schemes for him so that he can be successful. And I think that if you're willing to do that, whereas how is a college player going to be successful? Is that head coach willing to work with him so that he can easily learn and pick things up the college player mm-hmm. can, the college quarterback can? Or is he going to be one of those, you need to fit into my system? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that it's got to be one of those in the NFL where he's working with a head coach, he's working with an offensive coordinator. That wants him to that, be on their team. That wants him to be on their team, that wants him to be their quarterback, and is willing to adjust some of their things and their styles to ensure that he's successful. And if that happens, I think that he can be a successful and will be a successful quarterback in the NFL. But I think that what most people are probably going to look at and and many people are probably going to see, Mm -hmm. Mason Rudolph is similar to what we've already got in terms of his style, his build, how he does things. We're more comfortable taking him. And I want to ask this question about Mason Rudolph, and this is probably going to sound stupid, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Is you mentioned in your the AFC guys that were saying yeah. stuff, they met, they talked about Gundy and the Oklahoma State system. Not that they're the same player, because I don't think they are. But do you think there's not a negative connotation, but do you think when scouts or NFL teams are thinking about, oh, this kid's from Oklahoma State. I might have said Ohio State earlier. I meant Oklahoma State. Do you think they, in the back of their head, go, well, not, let's not overhype him. Remember what people were saying about Brandon Whedon and what he turned into. Does that even come up? Or is it like, you know what, different player, don't even think about it? Well, I think that uh, every every player's different. It's all, it's all different players. But you do have to then look at, okay, this is another person from this system. They were amazing in college. They were amazing mm-hmm. in this system. And the system probably skews the numbers a bit because that's all they do is pass for the most part. Especially, yeah, like you but, said, in the Big 12. But then, but then, and I know his name's not in this conversation, it's not in this title, but what about Baker Mayfield then? Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that bring up Baker Mayfield to say, well, he's Oklahoma, Yes, they have more of a running game than Oklahoma State does, which they do. Mm-hmm. They have a running game that which they use actually more frequently than people would like to admit to in terms of Oklahoma. But would they look and say, "Well, Baker Mayfield's stats are probably padded too because he also is playing in the Big 12 and he also is, you know, look to throw the ball a whole lot during the game and mm-hmm. against defenses that aren't of the strongest caliber." The thing with Baker Mayfield that I think puts him and why he's even in the discussion is, I'm going to say his personality, and I know that's going to sound like a cop-out answer, but it comes down to the fact of he's a kid that, you know, has fought, was a walk-on here, fought to be a starter here. We saw him before the Rose Bowl carry in that sign that said, Pretenders. He seems like a kid that's always going to have that chip on his shoulder, and some teams are going to fall in love with that. They're gonna, they're gonna love. They're gonna say he's a gamer, he's a grinder. We want him on our team. The thing that I kind of flip that to is, 
I kind of think not the exact same, but similar about Lamar Jackson is the thing I love most about him is last year when he won the Heisman. Right after he won it, he was on the Dan Patrick show, did an in in studio interview with Dan Patrick and the guys. One of the most humble quarterbacks I have seen. And I watched that interview from my desk at work and I went, I'd want him on my team. Yeah. I would want him on my team. Like that is a guy who is going to be humble, who is going to develop into a good leader of my football team. The thing with either Rudolph or Jackson, more so Jackson in my mind, is I wouldn't be surprised if he gets drafted outside of the first round or like tail end of the first round by like a team like, I'm going to say from my first mock draft, the Steelers, and have a similar trajectory as Tyrod. Hey, I'm going to be on the Steeler team for about four years. I'm not going to start because we have Big Ben. But I'm going to learn from Big Ben. I'm going to learn from – because I don't think Tyrod learned necessarily from Joe Flacco. There are some things he probably picked up, but he probably learned a lot from John Harbaugh. Do the same thing from Mike Tomlin. Learn a lot from Mike Tomlin. Learn a lot from that coaching staff. And then that next job is where he breaks out. Or if he gets that first spot where it's perfect and he gets like a Russell Wilson – then that's a situation where I could see really the only team outside of the top like quarterback needy teams. Because let's be honest, Browns will probably go Darnold or Rosen number one. The Giants or whoever wants to trade up will probably go with um, the other one, Darnold and Rosen. So they're one, two. The Broncos will probably go with someone. The Jets might go with someone. Really, that leaves out the Redskins might go with somebody This could be a draft where we see either one of two things. Either teams get quarterback needy, and we see the most quarterbacks we've ever seen in a first round, or teams say, no, I can wait. And the thing that I'm wondering, the one that I'm circling for both of these guys, is the last team on that list right now when it comes to the order is the Arizona Cardinals. Arizona. I mean, they're hurting. I mean, Carson Palmer now has said that he is going well, to retire. He, they, here, here's the thing about Arizona. The, I just want to throw this in really quick. Quarterback. Is the thing that will determine what they do, though, is if they hire Pat Shermer, and the rumor is if Pat Shermer gets a head coaching job, Case Keenum's following him. So if Arizona gets Shermer and Keenan... Then you can, oh, do we draft Lamar Jackson or Mason Rudolph there and they can sit behind Case Keenum and we don't need them to start. But I feel like if you're drafting a quarterback at 15, I mean, I guess you can't have him sit because Mahomes sat. Mahomes was drafted in the same area and he sat. So, you know what? Screw it. You can't have him sit if you do draft him at 15. Okay, so I've said this before. We've had a conversation mm-hmm. about it before, but I'm going to bring it up again because okay. it's still something out there probably now more than ever. Hit me, big boy. Lamar Jackson, New England. I wouldn't be against it. Especially now more than anything else because of what we've mm-hmm. just recently heard come out from New England where this there's this, that, and the other thing going on. there. Whether... we've seen a guy like Jacoby be successful with New England who— would be a similar style to Lamar, who's an athletic or quarterback than like a Garoppolo or a Tom Brady. And, and I would say even even with Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy mm-hmm. Garoppolo, a guy who's willing to be able to run a little yeah. bit, style similar to Brissett, but mm-hmm. someone who is still willing to run, who is a, still a good athlete. But, you, you know, some could probably, probably argue uh, that 
Lamar Jackson's a better athlete than Jimmy Garoppolo is mm-hmm. um, in terms of a more freaky athlete, more more skills um, than Garoppolo is. And, you know, it's an argument some people will be on both sides, but it, that would say something then. Mm-hmm. And to be on the New England Patriots and possibly, and I would say possibly, before it wasn't possibly, now it's possibly work with Bill Belichick if he's there, um, that would be... That would be pretty incredible. So I just think that the New England Patriots and what they have going right now as of today, anything could change mm-hmm. later on. But Bill Belichick is able to really help guys develop and turn guys into something really, really good. And I don't think that he would be a guy who would write off Lamar Jackson as a and he'll be a wide receiver. Bill Belichick would work with him to make him be the next quarterback because that's that's what he was trying to do with Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is different in the sense of no one, I think, ever questioned that Jimmy Garoppolo would be a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's different in the it, it's it, it's uh, similar in the sense of he wants to develop a guy. He really wants to be able to develop a guy and make him his next not project. But the next best thing, the next great thing, because what they've done with Tom Brady, what they were able to do, Tom Brady being himself so good, Bill Belichick being himself so good as a coach, I, I think that that would be something, a, a project that they would be able to take on and say, you know what, we're not afraid to work with them. We want him to come here. We're going to end the podcast. This is, do you guys come in? Let us know what you guys got down below. I looked at my phone. Mark's sitting outside. We got a lot of men. It's a little... A little too chilly for Mark, but this is where you guys come in. Let us know, do you, would you take Mason Rudolph over Lamar Jackson? Would you take Lamar Jackson over Mason Rudolph? Or do you see neither of these two being first-round quarterbacks and you think they should be second and beyond guys? Let us know what you think. That's going to do it for the Primetime Podcast. A little housekeeping here at the end. First off, for character, one, two, three, four, five. Remember to email us, Brandon, show him what he won. You got to show him one more time what he won. Cause you're golden, baby. You won that I gold got it all medal. Folded up. I don't. You got, you got to stay golden. There your we golden go. Golden Girls T-shirt. Also, check out patreoncom backslash Most Available Podcast to help support the channel. Can be on the podcast if you sign up for the ten dollar tier. Also, selling MVP T-shirts. Go ahead and grab yours today. Information down below in the description. iTunes. If you're on it, if you have it, give us five stars for the primetime podcast. And last but not least. Check out mostvaluablepodcast.com. Want to thank you guys for either listening on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, for watching on YouTube. But as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.